I think St John's wort's a really interesting herb to talk about for us to not pigeonhole it as a herb for depression mm. because it isn't a herb for depression. It's not how we understand St John's wort as herbalists. Yeah. Um, we understand St John's wort as a nerve tonic and I think that's a really important thing not to allow our herbs to be so pharmaceuticalized in the way we think about them. You know, it's like, oh, well, St. John's wort is obviously for depression because it's in studies for depression. Therefore, it's a depression herb. Uh, so we wouldn't possibly think of using it for someone with anxiety. But it's actually really nice for people with anxiety. It's a wonderful nerve tonic. That whole association again yeah. with it being in the studies is that it's compared with SSRIs. So for some reason, it becomes into a head that St John's wort is an SSRI. And I think that's the worst thing we could possibly say about St John's wort because that devalues it terribly. Welcome to the MediHerb podcast, where we discuss all things related to herbal medicine, nutrition, and lifestyle practices. From ancient wisdom to the latest in scientific research, join us for conversations with leading experts, practitioners, and pioneers in the field of natural healthcare. Hi, I'm Jaisal, a naturopath and manager of the practitioner education team at Integra Healthcare. Today we have David Castellane joining us to discuss the use of herbs to support patients with anxiety. David studied behavioral sciences at the University of Southern Queensland, then trained and worked as a registered nurse for many years. He is also a naturopath, having been in clinical practice for over 30 years, besides which he teaches and has served on the board of the NHAA for five years and been the Vice President of the World Naturopathic Federation. Having completed a Master's of Health Science in Herbal Medicine at the University of New England in 2007, he is currently a PhD candidate with the University of Technology, Sydney, where he is studying the outcome for people with anxiety or depression, consulting a naturopath for an individualized herbal medicine prescription. I hope you enjoy our discussion today. Hello and welcome David to the MediHub podcast. Hello, nice to see you. <laughs> nice to see you too. It's just such a pleasure to have you here with us and you wear so many hats and you have helped so many people over the years. What led you down the path of supporting patients with mental health issues? And is it something you initially set out to do or was it more of a natural evolution of your practice? It was more of a natural evolution of my practice. Yeah. Um, I guess in a way it goes back to before I even thought of being a naturopath mm. because the, the first qualification I did or the first study I did when I, when I left school yeah was to do a uh, Bachelor of Arts mm -hmm. with a major in uh, Behavioural Sciences. So that was Psychology, Sociology and Anthropology. Mm -hmm. And I really did enjoy that. I really enjoyed that aspect of understanding people. Mm -hmm. um, I think Sociology was a really good 
you know, combining with the psychology and the anthropology is great because you get that understanding of how people were, you know, have constructed their lives. And so I guess that sort of um, leaves that sort of key of um, that interest in how people function. Mm. Um, From there, I did my nursing, hospital trained nursing, and you also get a really good insight to the challenges that people face. You get a really um, very intimate experience of other people's lives, Mm. Um, especially, you know, in the two main areas that I worked was emergency and infectious disease, where, you know, um, people are either really... uh, battling with the the big issues of mm. you know their existence mm. um so all of that yeah. you know was a background yeah then at some point um mid 2000s i finished up in a clinic which was a counseling clinic mm. so essentially it was indigo house was um a center where lots of people lots of counselors were working from yeah. Uh, so I was the naturopath there with a, a couple of other practitioners. And so you just naturally yeah. work hand in hand with these people. Yeah. Uh, you tend to refer to each other. Yeah. So there was a, you know, at that point, there was a strong sort of group of clients mm. who were all experience, yeah. experiencing generally anxiety and depression. Right. Um, and so those sort of managing those, helping those people manage mm. Um, working with uh, the counsellors and the mm. psychologists to help those people manage was, I guess, a natural sort of progression. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that sort of led that interest, I guess. Mm. So from there, being interested in that process, um, another, another step along that path, I guess, was um, my, my father having Alzheimer's mm. and... You know, my mum wanting to manage him at home as long yeah. as possible. And one of the things about Alzheimer's is that's really makes it difficult to manage them yeah. at home yeah. is that they really, their anxiety is very difficult to control. Yeah. Um, because if you can't remember who you are or what's yeah. going on or nothing makes sense to you, the world doesn't no longer make sense. Yeah. It can become very yeah. frightening. And he would really lash out and become quite... Um, you know, difficult to manage. Mm. And we found Passionflower to be very helpful right. in that instance. Yes. And that's where um, often people people talk hear me talking about Passionflower yeah. quite passionately. Yes. And um, see, some people even call me Mr. Passionflower. Yes. Yes. Um, I've certainly heard that. But that the experiences mm. that I bring, I guess, to my use of Passionflower... Mm. That's where they originated, Mm -hmm. was from needing something to be able to settle him. Um, And that's Passionflower was really good with that. And I guess I was able to observe the action of Passionflower Mm -hmm. very closely and regularly. Yeah. And so a lot of the conversation, or a lot of the things I probably will share in our conversation around Passionflower and why I happen to like using it as much as I do and how I use it come from that learning, that observing regularly, you know, very close quarters, regularly observing 
that sort of happening. Yeah. So that yeah. led me to that interest, I guess, and then being able to help people mm. using that in that connection with the patients who were seeing the psychologists mm. um, and then yeah. the opportunity to do the research in that area. Yeah. So, you know, it's sort of all one thing connected to another, to another, to yeah. another. So. Yeah. Even the choice of what you studied, you know, the sociology, anthropology, psychology, it's about the person or the behavior, but in context of the oh. times they lived in and mm. the society they lived in. So it's a complete picture. So that was great. And then, of course, having um, worked in a practice with, you know, oh. psychologists yeah. and mental health practitioners. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, the more you see of that kind of picture, the more you learn as well, right, from your mm. patients and what herbs work and don't um i was going to you know talk about passion flower of course mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> um, before we get to the herbs um can you tell us about the phd that you're um, currently completing through the university of technology sydney you know just what do you um what's your phd on great look that's a um I'm quite excited about that too. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's called a naturalistic observation study of the herbal medicine treatment of anxiety and depression. Mm. And so what essentially that means is that we're observing people who come to a naturopath or herbalist with anxiety or depression that can be self-diagnosed or mm. it can be medically diagnosed. Mm. So they present with that we observe um, we measure their anxiety and depression uh, when they enter the study yeah. and then we measure their anxiety and depression when they leave the study mm. and that's after two uh, follow-up consultations mm. so we have the initial consultation a follow-up and then a second follow-up and we're measuring across that time you use so, questionnaires and things like yes that? Yeah. yes so we have four of the four patient questionnaires and they're you know um they're proms so they establish you know the um das 21 and you know the yeah. sf m you know yeah. scf or yeah that's right so all those you know a very a letter salad really of of forms but four of them yes and we do them each time right. so you repeat it and then you can see what's the change mm. and that's essentially the data right. is the change from entry to exit um, and that's something which we just don't have mm. um, because you know as herbalists yeah. we go well there is so much evidence for herbs yeah. how can anyone possibly say there's no evidence for herbs mm. but there's virtually no evidence for the practice of herbal, herbal medicine, medicine yeah. and so that's why this is such a I think an important mm. piece of work because mm. We're measuring the effect of seeing a herbalist mm. for a specific treatment yes. for you, exactly. the person. Yeah. And the wonderful thing about that was that the, the, essentially the practitioners had very little restraint mm. or constraints on their prescription. So mm. the idea was prescribe what you would normally prescribe for that person. Right. So it didn't have to be all herbs for anxiety. In mm. fact, the, you know, normally you wouldn't do that. No. You would identify that there was a, a gut disturbance, yeah. but there were hormonal disturbances, yeah. menstrual disturbance. There was, you know, all sorts of things that could mm. be going on for the person. So they would all be part of the treatment. Mm. And 
the intent was that that was the case, that That's the right. pers- whole person was being treated. Mm. So mm. when we, you know, now have a spreadsheet of all the herbs that were used, mm. you can see that it's not just anxiety herbs. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of um, range of herbs that, that that were used in that in that treatment process, yeah. and so. Um, it's yeah. It will be very nice to mm. finally get it written up and yeah. and that that work published, yeah. so that we can say, look at this. Yeah. You know, here is the evidence. Uh, the evidence. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's so true. We don't practice. You know, we don't. A person doesn't come in and just get herbs for a particular condition. You're treating the person, and they might be presenting with lots mm. of things. And of course. Um, you know, there will be other body systems impacting on the nervous system and vice mm. versa. Mm. So I guess in terms of anxiety, though, when you're assessing a patient, what guides your selection of herbs for them? Um, I guess what guides my selection of herbs is as much of an understanding of how the anxiety affects their function Mm. as I can ascertain. And as a naturopath, we do an extensive intake uh, consultation where we do get a really good understanding of how all of their life functions. Mm. And for me, that's that's essentially it. You know, probably that sounds like an obvious answer. But, you know, it's uh, thinking about and um, considering whether there's um, maybe comorbid depression Mm. um, because it's surprising how often chronic anxiety will lead to depression. Mm. It's how often people who are depressed can feel quite anxious as well. Mm. Um, I I was, you know, intrigued um, some years ago. I remember someone saying to me, how can someone be anxious and depressed at the same time? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, they're not, they're not separate yeah. necessarily emotions. Yeah. You know, they can, yeah. they can very much feed off each other yeah. and one can lead to the other. So understanding that, whether that's there. Yep. Sorry, and um, mm. we'll go back to the yep. herbs, but do you also find with anxiety sometimes um, it leads to development of um, obsessive compulsive type of behavior in in a way to maybe control that anxiety. That's well. That's all, yeah. when 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 you look at the mm. the understanding of obsessive compulsive mm. um, disorders. Mm. Um, that's very much the consideration. Mm. Is that it's a way of control of creating control mm. in your world, which feels out of control. Mm. You know, mm, so by sense. yeah, by being able to create some sort of control, you can feel less anxious right. because you feel that you have some agency in the world that you yeah. you're inhabiting. Yeah. yeah. So, like when you mentioned passion fly in the case mm. of your father, mm. um, so you know, again describing a situation where you might think of passion fly um, as opposed to another herb for anxiety mm-hmm. that another herbalist might choose sure yeah so you said it's it depends on how that anxiety is affecting their day-to-day function is yes. what you were saying yes mm. yes um and so i guess with it's, it's trying to work out like like i'm th- thinking of the opposite ends of the spectrum mm. then maybe where you have anxiety which is um almost like a, a panic attack yes. 
um, a uh, quite closely associated with PTSD type mm. symptoms, mm. where there's a trigger that might be so minor, so yeah. not minor, but so subtle is yeah. the word, not minor, yeah. so subtle that you might not necessarily even recognise mm. it, but your body recognises it, and then there's a whole cascade. Yes of anxiety and panic that follows. Mm. Um, that, for instance, is absolutely perfect for Pasha Flower in mm. my experience because of how quickly it works, mm. how quickly it works, and and this might sound strange, but how short-lived it is. Right. In that it brings you down quickly, mm. but then wears off quite quickly. Right. So you then take over mm. because you're really just needing to Brick come back to circuit your breaker. regular that's yeah. right it's like a circuit breaker yeah. so that's where i think passion flower is just absolutely amazing because mm. it's able to do that quickly mm. but it doesn't last and yeah. as i said that might sound strange but it's actually what you want yeah because you don't want to then feel a bit dopey yeah afterwards you want mm. to come down quickly and then get okay where were we let's get back going where we yeah. were yeah. It, it's perfect for that yeah. and and it also means that you don't have to be too worried about maybe using too much, right. you know. So you can say, oh, you know, and you, you can give the person agency to decide how much they need. Once mm. they start to understand the effects of passion flower, mm. they can work out, okay, where am I going here? Mm. And they can work out, is this a five mil, is this is a 10 mil, yeah. you know, what sort of amount do I need? Yeah. And they know I can under, they can be comfortable in right. knowing that if they have taken a bit much, they might just need to sit down for 10 minutes and then they'll be okay. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a, a really wonderful aspect mm. and, and a learning about the use of passion flower mm. that I might not have got yes. gotten without that first-hand direct observation experience right. and then transferring that into the clinical experience of using it with patients who are seeing counsellors and psychologists who have mm. panic disorder mm. and PTSD and seeing how we can help with that, you yeah. know. Like just staying with passion for that briefly, yeah. that in that context, um, those counsellors and psychologists, they could see what a benefit it was. Mm. But even in the actual sessions that they were doing right. that they would say to their clients have you had the passion flower had you have you had your passion flower when they arrived yeah. because that would allow them to get on and do an hour's worth of work right. rather than spending the first half hour calming the person down to the person where they yeah. point where they could do some work yeah. they were actually ready to go yeah. so that they found that very very useful mm. and that's the sort of context i guess i would come with with the passion flower yeah and why i probably tend to be less likely to put it into a mix now mm. because i understand it as being it been more short-lived yeah. whereas i would use that in conjunction with a mix yeah. that has skullcap for instance mm. which has got a really nice tail to it mm. so it doesn't come down anywhere near as quickly but it comes down it has this really solid tail mm. which is very nice to as the background yeah Lavender goes really nice with mm. that. Um, motherwort I love mm. because of so many people have that heart connection, heart you know. So yeah. they'll have palpitations, but it's more than that. More than it's that. more than that. Yeah. It's, the, it's where two, two factors lead me to think of motherwort. Mm. So with motherwort, one factor that 
makes me think of using motherwort is when they put their hand on their heart when they're talking to me about their anxiety, when they do that. They tell you that's where their anxiety lives in their body. As opposed to people might put it on their tummy. Precisely, exactly. And those people put their hand on their tummy, they are chamomile, you see. That's often what we think about the tummy. But yes, that's lovely, chamomile for Mm. Chamomile for the tummy, chamomile or vervain if you haven't got chamomile. They're wonderful Mm. brain-gut connection herbs. Um, Whereas motherwort is the heart-brain connection. And and so when Pam puts their, puts their hand there, yeah. so, oh yes, that's oh you, you can see it. You didn't have to ask. You didn't have yeah. to ask. Yeah. You see, yeah, and quite often, mm. oh, quite often you when they start telling you when they through them telling their story, mm. you hear that there's trauma either from a parent or from a child. Mm. You know, so that is that that sort of parental yeah. um, parenting link yeah. of challenges yeah. or some sort of anxiety around that or trauma around that. Motherwort's wonderful for that. Mm. So they're the two sort of ways. Either yeah. just that straight hand on your heart when yeah. you when you're talking about the feeling. Yeah. Um but also noting that there's a, a you know some sort of parent child connection to yeah. to the trauma or the stress that right. the person's what if experiencing. Um if they're holding their head yeah. um Look, I mean, to me, I think that's it. Could even be a cramp bark, yeah. which is interesting, because mm. um, you might not necessarily think of cramp bark mm. as um, as an anxiety herb. Mm. But cramp bark is interesting when you talk about head, because you're thinking that that's like a tightness in the yeah. head, um, that sort of restriction. Yeah. And cramp bark is very interesting for anxiety because if you have a good dose of cramp bark it relaxes you physiologically mm. and then your head follows because right. your head goes, oh, okay, well, my body's relaxed. Yeah. I guess there's nothing to worry about and your head follows. Interesting. So yeah. it's, a, it's quite a, a fascinating one really, cramp bark. I did bark. not expect you to say cramp bark. <laughs> Um, yeah, there were thoughts of other herbs, which I won't mention going through my, you know, yep, my head. Yep. Um, so that's wonderful. Yeah. So with passion flood, then really you're talking about that situational anxiety where it doesn't have to be necessarily even PTSD or, um, you know, you know, severe anxiety around a situation. It could be someone going in for an interview or an exam. Um, and you said that once they work out, the dose that works as the circuit breaker, then then they're back in control. So mm. it's almost like those, you know, switching back from your sympathetic into your parasympathetic nervous yes. system. Yes. Um, so you work out doses based on what you observe or you let them do a trial and error till they get to the... Look, well, um, what, I, what I do in clinic is um, I will give them a dose in clinic mm. when they're there with me. Mm. So um, I'll have a, you know, a bit of a guess yeah. as to where their anxiety is at and give them a, a dose mm. while they're with me mm. so that I can, I can watch it, yeah. I can observe it and they can experience it and they can feel comfortable mm. understanding that nothing bad's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's really very useful. Mm. Um, I probably did years ago, uh, I did tend to go for 10 mil doses yeah. in that initial yeah. time. Um, but I, I, I learned my lesson yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in that um, I 
recall very clearly this this one lady mm. who um, her daughter-in-law had referred to me mm. and um, she was on quite a few ang- you know um, mm. anxiolytic medications yeah. uh, she'd come to me having stopped all of them three mm. days before so mm. she was in quite a state yeah um, she'd come with her daughter thankfully and she was just Checking. just in mm. and I thought oh my goodness I'm definitely going to need 10 mil for this lady yeah. you know yeah um so I gave her 10 mil and she it really took her down like a ton of bricks mm. it hit her like a ton of bricks and she was like oh and mm. really went quite floppy yeah um and looked like she was going to fall out of the chair oh. And I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, mm. just as we were across the road from the hospital where yeah. my clinic is. Um, but her daughter was great. Her daughter was saying, look, mum, it's fine. Just it'll be okay. Mm. Um, and this was absolute confirmation for me of how of that quick response Passion Flower has with the, yeah. with the short tail. Yeah. So it comes back up quite yeah. quickly. Yeah. So within about 10 minutes, she was actually sitting there very comfortably. Wow looking at me and she's looking at me and she said this feels so weird and I said oh okay and she said um I need to panic but I can't (laughs) and I was like oh that's interesting so while it was a good outcome and you know probably not too much in the end I I meant that I I do go I'll do a five mil dose when we're together in the clinic and then I know that I can always do another five mil if we need it but the wonderful thing is you do that and you're watching the person's face mm. and oh, well I'm not I don't I don't think I am actually thinking that I'm watching their face yeah. but all of a sudden I become aware mm. their face has changed right and that's when I'll say so how are you going with that passion flower and they're like oh my god yeah. <laughs> I have a full bottle of that yeah. you know yeah. so yeah. they it, you can see that it's changed yeah. they know that it's released what was happening for them yeah. and they're like yep yeah, okay I'm on board with that I mm-hmm. definitely will be taking that with yeah. me so yeah. and I do my best to facilitate for that yeah. for them so um, you can get little 10 mil bottles mm. um, that come with dripolators yeah. so you just throw the dripolators out um you get the little 10 mil bottles so that they can line up their dose so Mm. you know we work out their dose is it five is it seven and a half or ten um whatever your dose is fill them up to that amount so that you know that there's a dose in a bottle that way if you do feel that coming on you can just grab one of them Mm. have your dose settle back down yeah and you know get on with your presentation or whatever it is that you're actually doing um knowing that you've got that mm. is in itself Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Know, it's like a little safety blanket. Totally. I, I love passion flower myself and my personal experience has been similar where if I take five mils before I have to speak or present or just in any sort of situational um, anxiety provoking uh, kind of thing and I find that it just calms me. Mm-hmm. Um, I did take uh, a second five mil dose once very quickly and it was fine, but I did feel like I was floating a little bit. Yeah. Um, and you're right, because after a while, I d- it, you take over. And mm. it just, you're, you, know, you just get over that initial hiccup. And interestingly, even, um, you know, like I've taken drops at night when your mental chatter and your mind's going. And I've 
woken up the next morning thinking I actually fell asleep mid-thought. So I didn't <laughs> like she said, I want to panic, but I can't. It's like I actually, you know, my mind was still going, but mm. it stopped and I fell asleep. Just, you know, that switch. Mm. So that's really interesting mm. how that herb works like that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, but, you know, there's another herb, which I thought you might have mentioned earlier, um, and uh, that most people think of for anxiety, which is, of course, kava. Mm. Yes. So when would you use kava over passion flower? Um, uh, or well, I just think they're different. Different, yeah. That's. Um, I think they're different. I, 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 that context that I was talking about, passion flower, of yeah. that... Um, wanting that really quick, yeah. that really quick response to bring things down back to a place where you can take over. Mm. I, I don't find that with kava, mm. um, but I do think kava is a very useful addition to the background mix yes. because it has this very good calming, general calming mm. uh, aspect to it, which right. I really like. Mm. So that that general calming I think is very, very nice. Mm. Um, <clears throat> the kava, you can use the kava tablets for that as well um, because the kava is yeah. a fairly, you know, it's 40 mil a week is the yeah. minimum, so it's a fairly big part of your mix. Yeah. So you, I've, I tend to use the tablets for that way to sort of, um, support yeah. as a supporting act mm. for the you know the passion flower being the acute yes. the really acute um, and the 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 carver being part of that mix that would be the skull cap lavender things oh, like that yeah. you know would have carver in there mm. but of course there would very likely be some adaptogens in there too yes, so course. very very much so yeah. you know and one in particular which we'll probably get to at some point but oh, well, we you know well, that, okay that well that one <laughs> that one would be gotcha cola right yeah. um which is often i guess missed as not necessarily thought of as an adaptogen mm. because we've got the bright sparkly ones That's right. you know the harris the paris hilton ones <laughs> i would call them um you know not in a derogatory way but they're no, the bright sparkly one so that's what everyone thinks of yeah, you know it's yeah. like oh yes well of course you go with ania or yeah. rhodiola or yeah, whatever um that's Siberian ginseng of course or yeah. but it's um gotcha centella mm. um an adaptogen mm. but it has some anxiolytic properties mm. but what's even more remarkable and ideal for this situation mm. is it decreases your startle response wow okay. it turns down the startle mm. response mm. and that's the problem for people with pdsd with panic disorder with anxiety disorder is um the the fact that their startle response has become elevated okay so their startle response has been um changed yes. and so it is over responsive there's this mm. excessive reactivity mm. and um that's what you're trying to do yeah so, so gotcha cola is perfect for that yeah. for just turning turning down the reactivity yeah um so the research on that is that it turns it down for you know in the research turned it down for an hour mm. but um i put it in the mix and people have it three times a day yeah it's almost finishing off what the passion class started well and yeah 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 and, and in a way um you know what you're describing is literally what's happening in the brain right like if you have that constant arousal of the amygdala mm. you get mm. the hypertrophy there and you get this hypervigilance yes so the startle response or this um like you you know you said earlier not minor you used a, another beautiful word subtle trigger 
you know, um, which is why probably it's not even in their awareness. And then this trigger and you get oh. this hyper vigilance, this hyper um, reactivity. reaction, mm. reactivity. And so the go to cola, when you see that, yeah, lovely, mm. so lovely. Um, and of course, um, you know, we know it does things like improve that circulation. Mm. Yeah, well, that's right. All the fringe benefits have got your cola as well, you know. The the improved wound healing, the microvascular circulation, all those other wonderful things it does. But, you know, to... But exactly. I'm using it in that mix for that for mm. that you know it's adaptogen, but it mm. turns down that startle response, yeah. and I think that's yeah. just such a, a gift to people, really. Mm. You know, mm. and I think also when you mentioned the bright lights, it sort of takes a backseat sometimes, especially in when you think of the brain and that to to the brahmi or the bacopa. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. So, is there a place for bacopa in any of your um, you know? Well, I, I guess there is. Mm. Um, there are there are cognitive, a number of reasons. Sorry, effects or well, yes. Mm. But when we're talking about anxiety, yeah. you're not so much worried about that at that point. Mm. Um, it can maybe affect your like you know when you're anxious, it can affect your memory and cognition. It can yeah. it can it mm. can? But I tend to think that when you're anxious, your your cognition is affected mainly because of the excess cortisol. Right. And by doing those things yes. to drop that down, yes. you can think clearly. Right. And that's why I think Passionflower is actually mm. ideal before presenting or exam. before an exam yes. because it turns down that rush of stress hormones yeah. and actually allows you to function. It allows you to think and function. Yeah. Um, so I think from that respect, you're looking for yeah. the sort of no, help right. there. Mm. Um, with with something like Bacopa, you're looking at um, weeks, weeks to get an effect from it. Yep. And if I'm also talking, you know, with someone in this sort of acute state, I want the effect tomorrow. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. I want the effect tomorrow. I don't want people going for weeks, yeah. going, oh, my God, I hope eventually I feel a bit better. Yes. Um, I really want them to feel better next week when I yeah. see them because I will see them in a week. Yeah. Um, if they're acute like that, mm. um, so that I can, we can see, is mm. that working? Do we need to increase the dose of your mixture? Because mm. um, so, I, yeah. So you've got your acute um, herbs there, and then you've got the tail, you know, the ones that, and then you've got the even more maybe chronic long term, if that's what. Mm. Exactly. You know, what yes. Yeah. Um, but I also think, just on that point, where you, you know. It's useful to remember that Gotcha Cola and Bacopa are both mm. known as Brahmi. Yes. <laughs> which is why I don't refer to either of them as Brahmi. Brahmi yeah. um, to me, Brahmi is just a dirty word, really. It's just got <laughs> too many letters to be official dirty word. Mm. But I really see it as that because mm. it doesn't really tell you what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, I know you, could be, you could be talking about either. Yes. And so I think from a herbal medicine perspective yeah, we, we do need to be clear about which one we're talking yeah, about definitely. and but but by the same token mm. it also tells you that there's going to be a lot of similar qualities that's right so that's, that's the other bit that it tells yeah. you and yeah. so that's why i think i don't feel like i'm missing out on the bacopa so much mm. by using the gotcha cola be, because of that that's a really sort good of point. um <laughs> active as well yeah yeah any other adaptogens that go really well in that anxiety, depression picture for you? I think Siberian ginseng is yeah. an ideal mm. herb. Um, Eleutherococcus, I think, has got so much to offer there. Mm. Um, 
I remember when I was learning herbal medicine, you know, Kerry was talking about, you know, Korean ginseng and Siberian ginseng and how Siberian ginseng was known as poor man's ginseng and how offended he was at yeah. that connotation. <laughs> and it's exactly how I feel. Yeah. I feel quite offended um, by anyone thinking that Siberian ginseng is poor man's ginseng. Mm. It's not. Mm. It is such a unique and special herb, mm. all of its own, yes. that it absolutely needs to be, you know, understood all on its own. And I think I think it's good. I'm trying to get in the habit myself of calling it Eleutherococcus rather yes. than Siberian ginseng I because mm. I think it gives it more of its own power yeah. and its own standing yeah. and... Even when I put it in someone's mixture, if I call it a Luthrococcus, it doesn't make them think they're having a ginseng. That's right. You know? Yeah. And it's and that's the whole point, is it's yeah. not like a ginseng, which actually revs you up. Yeah. It's a ginseng that calms you down. Mm. Um, it really helps settle, mm. um, does that um, thing that adaptogens do in do general, yeah. which is decrease your chronically elevated cortisol levels. Yeah. So... Um, I think any of the adaptogens are really useful there because in general that's what they do. Mm. Um, but uh, Siberian ginseng I think is a particularly useful one. Mm. I will just make a note of colonopsis mm. there as well mm. um, in that it, it's a, a wonderful herb for decreasing your chronically elevated cortisol. Right. But I'm cautious with it because it almost does it too well. Okay. In It, does, it can do it too well in that the person who's been living on, they've been embalmed in cortisol mm. and that's how they've been functioning. Yeah. If you drop it too quickly, yeah. then all of a sudden they're like, what, what weighs up, you know, uh. and find it hard to concentrate. Mm. So sometimes I can be cautious with colonopsis in the beginning right. because of that sort of almost dropping that, seeming to drop that mm. too quickly and leave people feeling a little bit lost. Mm. So... I like it more. I mean, I love it as a as a convalescent herb yeah. for that recovery. Yeah. So once the person's settled, it really comes into its own there. Right. But in that acute acute mix of getting the person back on track, mm. um, I think Siberian ginseng is pretty hard to go past. Yeah. Although withania is obviously a yeah. you know a <clears throat> an obvious herb. Yes. Um, except if the person does have a subclinical hypothyroid. Yes. Um, and I say that, I'm, you know, I make that point because mm. before I understood that withania did increase T4, mm. I, I recall having a, a young client, actually she probably wasn't that young, she just appeared young to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I'm having this client who... Um, her anxiety, she was referred to me by a psychologist and she had this really deep anxiety with palpitation that we just couldn't sort of shift. Mm. And um, withania was an obvious herb mm. for her. But I, it seemed to mean that we didn't get anywhere with getting her anxiety under control. Right. And it wasn't until some time after that mm. that I became aware of this increasing of T4 that mm. withania is able to do. And I realised that this lady was very likely to be subclinically hyperthyroid. Right. She, the absolute picture of that thin, yeah. you know, um, with palpitations, mm. the, the whole thing that you would mm. expect. 
And so, I mean, that's one of the things I always say to my students when they have someone with anxiety, yeah. they want to prescribe with ania, I'll say to them, just check. Do you think yeah. there could be yeah. um, a subclinical hyperthyroid mm. thing going on here? Yeah. Because, um, you know, it there could be, yeah. you know, it could be. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so you wouldn't necessarily need to do a blood test. No. You could do yeah. if you felt it was that much of an issue. Yeah. And in fact, I would do if your treatments weren't going anywhere and you're like, okay, why are we not getting this anxiety down? Then checking for a subclinical hyperthyroid situation can be really helpful because Mm. bringing in with your your bugleweed, all of a sudden things happen. And your motherwort. Oh, and motherwort as well as motherwort, definitely, but not to the extent in my observation. Motherwort's certainly a a supporting act for the bugleweed but interesting, motherwort doesn't seem to be contraindicated in the high in the subclinical hypo mm. thyroid, which is interesting. Yeah. And my understanding that is because of its action on the on the um, the, th- uh, the thyroid antibodies that you right. have in in um, hypo. Yeah. Um, but bugleweed is just this beautiful yeah. um, herb for people who Absolutely. are being driven by their thyroid, and they yeah. a lot of our herbs to bring their anxiety under control don't work yeah. in that situation because there's that internal drive yes. that just keeps pushing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's the two things there. Yes. There's the caution for me. Yeah. Um, if someone looks like they might have subclinical mm. hyperthyroid or there's a caution, there's a what, you know, mm. some sort of question in my mind, I just won't use it. Mm. There's plenty of other adaptogens Absolutely. to use. Yeah. So I count it out then. Um, but then I'll also, if we're not getting you anywhere and I still think that could be there, yeah. then I might test and, and yeah. see if that's an avenue that needs to be followed. Yeah. yeah, so that's a perfect example of how, you know, you're picking herbs depending on, I guess, what else is going on with that patient. And so, you know, you've got that hyper picture there of the thyroid and um, the bugleweed, of course, is there to do its job. But then you can bring in the motherwort and the lemon balm, um, mm. you know, and maybe not think of Vidania or, you know, leave that out in this case. Um, I really love how you've been layering, teaching us about layering the treatment, right, from that acute situation onto bringing in the herbs that finish off that tail end and then the more chronic long-term and, and of course, also looking at, you know, what other things they might be presenting with. Is there any herb we haven't spoken about, David, that you think needs um, a mention here? Look, I think um, <clears throat> there's probably probably plenty, but yes. <laughs> um, I think St. John's wort's a really interesting mm. herb to talk about mm. because um, <clears throat> certainly my observation in um, supervising student clinic is mm. that students can be very frightened mm. of it because it gets such a rap yeah. for interactions and yeah. it's like, oh, my God, you know, it's just frightening. I just won't use it. Yeah. But it's... I guess there's so there's a number of things to talk about with that and yeah. and one is that if it is available to use because it doesn't technically interact mm. then it's wonderful to use yeah. <laughs> um so that's one aspect of it but the other aspect of it is to is to for us to not pigeonhole it as a herb for depression mm. Because it isn't a herb for depression. It's not how we understand St. John's wort mm. as a herb, mm. as herbalists. Yeah. Um, we understand St. John's wort as a nerve tonic. Yeah. 
And I think that's a really important um, thing not to allow our herbs to be so condition-focused and so pharmaceuticalized in the way we think about them. You know, it's like, oh, well, St. John's wort is obviously for depression because it's in studies for depression. Therefore, it's a depression herb. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we wouldn't possibly think of using it for someone with anxiety. But it's actually really nice Mm -hmm. for people with anxiety. It's Mm -hmm. a wonderful nerve tonic Mm -hmm. and support in that way. Um, insulting. It is insulting to St. John's wort. It's like, it really, is that all it is? It's like, no. You know, it acts on the GABA and phenylalanine and, you know, norepinephrine and mm. the, the flavonoids have a, a, you know, a yet to be identified yeah. but still um, significant yeah. antidepressant quality. Yeah. Um, and there's certainly work looking at St. John's wort maybe being anti-inflammatory from a neurological Mm. perspective and maybe that's how it works on depression. So by comparing it to SSRIs, that's great, but we should just see it as that. The outcome is similar, Mm. not assume that the way it gets there is similar because it isn't. And as herbalists, we should know that it doesn't get there in the Mm. same way and that's why we probably have less side effects or it might work differently for different people Mm -hmm. so for some people um, SSRIs can work really nicely Mm -hmm. for other people they don't work really well very well at all Mm -hmm. and St John's Wort you don't wouldn't automatically think oh well SSRIs didn't work for you so St John's Wort wouldn't it's like well St John's Wort could well be an option for you because it's working different differently. Different. It's working on a whole range of neurotransmitters, yeah. not just yeah. one. On serotonin. And so I think that's, you know, I want to yeah. remind people of that, yeah. I guess, because it's it's a wonderful herb mm. and we shouldn't just park it on the side going, oh, well, it's, of course it's just an SSRI, that's mm. it. It's like there's so much more to it. So yeah, yeah. And it's antiviral. As well, 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 that's right. It's got that as a bonus, you know, fringe benefit, um, or yeah. maybe the whole benefit of what yeah. you want to use it for. Who knows? But um, you know, it's like wow. Yeah, mm. and I think that's a really good reminder that you know it's not just one constituent in the herb; it's a number of constituents. And like you said, some of them we might not yet know what they do, but also the synergy of using herbs in a mix again you know so you get that benefit as well and uh, i think this is the art of blending liquid herbs isn't it you're you're getting the synergy of the herbs but you're also matching it to the person in front of you and um yeah um, i think i've learned a lot today from certainly you know cramp bark and um, cordonopsis and not to use cordonopsis if someone has a lot of cortisol so some real gems here today and your passion, Mr. Passion Flower, definitely <laughs> comes through for herbal medicine. And um, thank you for all that you do for the profession and, um, you know, good luck with your PhD, uh, David. And it was absolutely wonderful talking to you today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. For more educational resources, please visit the Integria Practitioner Education Centre at practitioner.integria.com. Please note that this podcast is for general information only and practitioner discretion must be utilised. 
It is not a replacement for seeking professional health advice, nor should it be taken as medical advice.